what we're really looking for, and we talked about this last uh, fall, is when the gifts authentically operate, there's always going to be a release of grace attached to it, and that's what you and I need to start connecting to. So our response to new beginnings would be to immediately begin to say, God, how is this a new beginning? What are you doing in the new beginning? And what are you asking me to do about the new beginning? Because anytime we talk about the new, what he's always going to ask us to let go of something old. And so the, the most, in my view, the most appropriate response to that word several weeks ago, and the only reason why I'm bringing it up again, because we're not done with new beginnings. Be, because we need to take a little bit of time as a body, and we need to pray into this as a body, and let God begin to put, you, put within every one of us DNA for a new season. DNA for a new time. And you know what that means? I'll tell you what that means means we're going to have to let go of old mindsets. You, you, know, you know the first cow we're going to have to kick out of here? Well, we, didn't, we don't do it that way. New beginnings are about forgetting what's behind and what? Pressing toward ahead. I'm going to end this little thing with this. I believe when Paul said that, we could arguably say, that what he wants us to leave behind is the good and the bad. Why is that? Because if I don't leave the good behind, I'm going to be so comfortable and so loving the good that I won't believe that God has anything better, so I'll just stay in the past holding on to the good all the time. If I, if I don't leave the bad behind, then I'll get so demotivated and discouraged that I won't press forward and I won't even be able to have an ability to see that God is always leading me forward, never backward. With some caveats. All right, so uh, last week, we, uh, let me dive into, we're going to jump into, uh, if you want to, um, flip over to page 18. I'm going to do a little bit of teaching, then we're going to do some ministry tonight. But last week, the main thing that I wanted, that I felt like was important for you to walk away with understanding is that in order to really begin to, it's two things really, one, in the past, for the last 30 years or so, as I've taught on the gifts of the Spirit, I've never really taught the gifts with any significant amount of revelation in their connection to the body. And, and you may say, that's just kind of crazy. I know, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's just so weird. I mean, it's right in there. But what we have to understand is that Jesus' ultimate goal in his ecclesia is to build a body, and we learn how to function in that body. And in the, in, the, in the course of that body, what he begins to do is he gifts every single person, every single one of you are gifted by the Holy Spirit in such a way that when you operate in your gift, you will, in essence, build this body up and help Jesus get what he's looking for. That's about as real as I can make it. This is why I am so tenacious about speaking out against institutionalism and, and sort of this thing that tries to replace the body with institution. Be because, because in the end, we're not really here to be a part of an inanimate institution. You're here to be a living body. And when you allow the Lord to set you in your place in a body, your life 
means something. There is no insignificant person in this body at all. And, and I know that it is the sincerest passion of every leader in this, in this body to see you step into your place of learning how to build the body. Nowhere does it say that pastors, preach, or pastors teachers, evangelists, prophets, or apostles build the body. I, I haven't found that in Scripture yet. What I, what I have found is that you build the body. You get equipped. You begin to build the body. The body builds itself up in love. And so these gifts... When we, bring, when, when we bring them back into the understanding that you are divinely equipped before you are anything else to build not an institution, but a supernatural body. You know why the, you know why the, the, the purposes of God have thrived throughout and endured ever since Jesus rose up into heaven? It will always endure because it's supernatural and there's no amount of gates of hell or worldly humanism, no matter how deep it runs rampant, that will ever be able to come against and destroy something that's living where Jesus is the head of it. And so what you and I can begin to understand is that God didn't just call me to go to church. He called me to join and be connected to a body where I release out of my spirit in such a way that it begins to build supernaturally. That's why he uses several metaphors when he talks about that. He helps us to understand it in several ways. And I know everybody's all focused on the bride right now. The big bride, that's a, that's a big thing. But can I just submit to you, you don't really learn how to be a bride until you first learn how to be a body. Think of the body as bridal training. Because how are you going to be that spotless bride and you're still mad at your brother and you've been hanging on to your offense for like 10 years, right? So what? So the Lord puts us in a body and he, how do you think he works out that spot and that wrinkle? It's that person sitting next to you that in Teen Challenge you used to say that person's trialing me, like they caused me to trial. If you hang around Barry, he caused you to wrestle. But either way, God gets what he wants and the deepest maturity you're ever going to get is through the people you're connected with in the body. This is why you've got so many people who have been in church for years, and they're some of the most immature people you've ever met, because they don't allow themselves to really connect in a spiritual way to the people God calls them to, and they circumvent the process God uses to grow them up in the Spirit. That's why you're running from church to church all the time. What you're doing in the process, and I'm not calling you, I'm just saying in general, is we are, it's like some that, you know, if you've been in church for years, you realize people roll in the door, and you're about the 20th church they've been at, and just as soon as people get to know them, they're out the door again. And what ends up happening is they go through their lives um, never really being challenged into change and immaturity because they're circumventing that relational supply that is meant to come through the body. Believe it or not, studies show that the most influential people, the biggest influencers in a church are not the people in the pulpit. It's the people sitting in the chairs. The people that influence you the most are the people you have relationships with. So think of it the other way. And that doesn't demean in any way. And I, and I think that's by design. And, and so anyway, last week we talked about tearing down mindsets and i made a pretty provocative statement and i said that the greatest threat to anything god's doing is the institutional mindset you bring to it 
And the reason why I said that is because think of it at the most practical level. If all I know and all I've experienced about church is I roll up in here on a Sunday morning and I find a chair somewhere and I consume everything that's happening and then I'm out the door, then what ends up happening is I'm carrying with me a mentality that church exists to supplement my spiritual life. That is a mindset that is in direct opposition to God. That, that, that thought process is, is, is set itself up in opposition to everything God stands for. So we have to get free of these mindsets. And, 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 and why that's so important is because God never really came to God. When Jesus said, I was building my ecclesia, I'm building my ecclesia, he didn't say he was coming to build this event that happens on a Sunday morning where we just kind of roll in and then roll out. We've missed that entirely. Every, every bit of language in Scripture talks about the greatest revival I could ever be in is when I really have a revival of learning how to love you when you're a knucklehead. It, it's true. I mean, it really is true. And so, can, can I just make one more statement? Hopefully, it's super provocative. How could God not bring a church into an all-out, full-fledged revival how could he not bring them into to, how could he not bring that church into a full revival the one who has really learned how to deeply love one another that awkward sight you guys getting kind of like that dramatic effect there this is why I'm telling you there's more in Scripture about learning how to love the body well than there is just about any other modern thing you hear emphasized in the charismatic movement today he talks about prophets just a little bit, apostles, maybe a little bit more than that, but he talks about loving and one another in just about, I think it's in every book of the New Testament. So why we're talking about gifts then is we want to bring you to a place where you begin to realize that contextually you are divinely empowered by the Holy Spirit in such a way that when you are operating in your gifting, you have the potential to build something in the Spirit that you could not do otherwise. This is why the best that we can build as humans is a Tower of Babel. The best that we could build as Spirit-empowered and Spirit-led sons and daughters of God is a supernatural body that Jesus is the head of and that His supply runs. The, the circulatory system of that entire body is interconnected and everything that the head is doing, He makes known to that body. And everything that He's emphasizing, it begins to move throughout the body. And the body is all in its place functioning and building one another up, building itself up in love. But in order to have that, what we have to be willing to do is leave behind and come into a new beginning about our thinking about church. I'm not mad at church. I don't hate church. I'm using that kind of language because I need you to think about what you think about what we do here. Is that okay? All right, so let me jump into this really quickly. So if you can understand then that when we start laying down, anytime God brings me into something new or deeper into maturity, it will always require me to leave something behind. I always have to leave a part of me behind 
that is soul or that is out of the old nature in order to gain something that is new that he's made available to me that I'm not walking quite in the fullness of yet. You guys catch that? All right, so what we're going to talk about this evening is I want to focus on the ecosystem of the Spirit. And um, this is the foundation to laying a foundation to the gifts. Next week, we're going to actually start diving into the gifts. We're going to talk about the word of wisdom first and start um, really revealing that to you. But let's start this evening in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 for, um, on page, what is that, uh, 17. I'm going to read through there. For just as one body, starting with verse 12, is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so too is Christ. The most miraculous work that God does is taking the many and turning them into one. That's miraculous. And verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews, Greeks, or slaves are free. We were all made to drink of the one spirit. For in fact, the body is not a single member, but many members. So if the foot says, since I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, so it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. And if the ear says, since I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it does not lose its membership in the body because of that. Verse 17, if the whole body were an eye, what part would do the hearing? If the whole were an ear, what part would exercise the sense of smell? But as a matter of fact, God has placed each members in the body just as he decided. Pause for dramatic effect, which means what? Doesn't matter what conference you go to. Doesn't matter what, prophesy, what prophet prophesies it to you. Doesn't matter what apostle says it, if it doesn't agree with where God sets you, nothing can change that. And not only that, part of our maturing process is learning to be okay with who God says we are and not being jealous of who he says someone else is. We waste more energy trying to be something, and usually it's the flavor of the month in charismatic culture. Right now, it's prophets. Actually, that was so last week. Now everybody's an apostle, right? You're an apostle. You're an apostle. We're all apostles. I make light of that, not, not to dismiss the work of apostle, but this is what happens in culture. It's like we need something, so, we, so everybody's an apostle now. Last week, it was, everybody was a prophet, right? It's funny, everybody's not saying themselves a pastor because that's probably the least glamorous out of all of them, right? The shepherding part. But what I'm trying to say is as the body, you're, the greatest capacity for you to produce fruit and for you to affect the kingdom of God supernaturally is for you to allow God to actually set you and position you. The greater question to ask the Lord is, is not necessarily what is my gift, it is how are you setting me in the body? Because if I just pray about my gift, I'll pray that in such a way that I'm trying to get my gift, yet not discern that that gift is connected to how he sets me in place into a body. And so what needs to happen here is that we recognize that every single one of you are beautifully gifted by the Holy Spirit, not only with gifts that have a supernatural ability to build people, 
you also have a function that when you continuously offer your supply to the body along with all the other people that are offering their supply, then what ends up happening is you're going to start to see this body begin to be fleshed out in the spirit and Jesus comes and he completely fills it. Everything changes. I believe this is why the enemy attacks it so much. He wants to attack the understanding of a body so Jesus doesn't get one and we all stay divided. We're all mad about this or that or the other when really what we all have to do is come together. This is why we're using the language covenant community. Covenant community, all this really is is you coming into connection with the body. It's you making the commitment and losing the right to just be a spectator in church but in place of that, you are allowing and you're actively asking the Lord to set you and help you to discern how he's positioning you in the body. Now, by position, I'm not saying title. Like, you're not trying to earn a title, right? We're not trying to say, hey, um, Kyle is the cosmically amazing prophet, right? What we're, what we're saying is that when I start to understand what my gifts are, that gives me the greatest indication of how he's going to have me function in the body. Let me give you one primary example from last, last time. We talked about the gift of mercy. When I understand that Elisa Bates carries a gift of mercy, then I automatically know that um, her gift is generally always going to steer her toward people that need a supernatural infusion of the mercy of God. In altar ministry and in ministry in churches, how amazing would it would be if we started to recognize one another by the Spirit? Oh yeah, that person over here. Hey Lisa, what are you doing? Get on it. Because all Lisa has to do is all she has to do is begin to minister by the grace in that gift and suddenly the transference of what she releases into the other person is supernatural and it begins to impact them in a natural way. Now can you imagine a whole body operating like that? We don't want to keep you from the gifts. We want to release you into them. We, we, but, but, but we want to do that in a way that you understand the greater context for the gift is because we're all called, what did Barry say one time? Always building, building, building. Right. Well, what are we building? We're building a supernatural body. All right. So in verse 19, if they were all the same member, where would the body be? So now there are many members, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, nor in turn can the head say to the foot, I don't need you. On the contrary, these members that seem to be weaker are essential. Let me say that again. On the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential. So think about it this way. If I'm a hair in the nostril, <laughs> and I say, I'm really upset because I'd rather be a toenail, at least they get to go somewhere, then what ends up happening is there is really nothing in the body that doesn't have a function. Now, doctors are going to tell you it's okay to get rid of your gallbladder and some of these other things because they don't really know what they're doing, you know, or they hadn't in times past. But we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Everything has a purpose. And when it all works together, the body functions, right? 
What we have to learn to do and what Paul is trying to take away from us is this notion that there are some gifts that are better than others because he needs us to come out of the mentality that where he sets me in the body is somehow less than where he sets someone else. Did you guys catch that? So what he's saying then is, so now, on the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are essential, and those members we consider less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. Why? Because without them, what? We're incomplete. And the greatest test of the heart, like I should just really briefly Sunday morning, the Good Samaritan, who then is my neighbor? And what we realize is that the two that you would think would have stopped along the way to help that person in need didn't, but the Samaritan, who in this metaphor would have been the weaker one in the body, was able to do that. And so what we have to learn how to do is to really begin to understand that the world would call someone weak and would measure them by a standard that God doesn't measure by. And as the body, what we learn how to do in order to thrive is while some, through a worldly culture, would define some places and function in the body as greater than others, Paul here is teaching us not to do that. With me? All right, so moving on. But our presentable members... um, we do not need this. Instead, God has blended together the body, giving greater honor to the lesser member so that there may be no division in the body. But the members may have mutual concern for one another. If one member suffers, every member suffers with it. And if one member is honored, all rejoice with it. One of the greatest measurements or gauges that help us to understand our revelation and our maturity of the body is how well we rejoice with one another and how well we suffer or take the pain of other people. You know, some of you guys know that a while back we went through, Ginger and I went through some pain. And um, Juan and Savannah called up. He'd heard what, what had happened. And Juan, uh, by the way, she's in labor. Don't know where they are, but it, she's coming. Uh, but um, in, in, uh, in terms of that, he said, well, hey, can we come over? And my first thought was, no, because you're young, you're living life, you don't need to enter into my pain. And then I heard the Holy Spirit say, why would you do that? And what I was doing was not biblical. And so I, the tendency is going to be for me to want to isolate. So I did the exact opposite. I said yes, and I allowed him to come in. And he, you know, they said that when they heard about it, he started weeping in the car on the way over. And I thought, man, I feel bad that he had to enter my pain. But, but folks, this is what the body is. We learn what it means to walk as Jesus walked when we can learn how to enter into the pain of others. That's why God gives the gift of mercy, because all of us don't have a supernatural capacity to do that. The rest of us that don't have the gift of mercy, we have to learn how to do it by the fruit of the Spirit. But some have the gift of mercy, and it's profound in that they can enter pain with you and bring you out of it. 
And, and so what we have to learn how to do as a body, one of the clearest gauges is how well can you look at the need of another person next to you and in their need or in their pain or in their joy, celebrate with them. That's why whenever you get wins, it, it, it should be a party around here. I mean, we got people writing books, four or five people writing books in this body. We just released an amazing CD that, um, you know, of worship. Those are wins we should celebrate. Many of you are getting wins. We should learn how to celebrate with each other and, and to rejoice in the wins you're getting. And we should also learn how to bear one another's burdens in such a way that we know we can't remove it. But I don't believe the Lord ever really wants us to go through pain alone. Doesn't he say that right here? And so, lastly, if one member suffers, everyone suffers. If a member is honored, uh, all rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, and each one of you is a member of it. Flip over to page 19, and let me um, just go through a few more things, and then we're going to do a little ministry. But I want to give you just a quick review of what we covered last, last semester. And, and if I could just say, or last uh, fall, if I could just give you a, a framework to understand the gifts. There's two really sets of gifts, and I define them separately because they function slightly different. In Romans 12, which we covered last, last uh, fall, I like to consider those the gift of teaching, mercy, um, the gift of um, prophecy, which appears in all those lists. I like to consider Romans 12 as what we would call functional gifts. These are gifts that really become ministries in the body, supernatural ministries. They allow you to function. If, uh, since I'm picking on Lisa, if Lisa has the gift of mercy, she will regularly function in that gift and, and should as she's offering that supply to the body where it's needed. You know, when, you're, when your body gets injured, right, um, blood begins to rush to that place of injury. Platelets and all sorts of stuff happen. But that's what should happen in a supernatural body when parts of the body get injured. Those parts that, that, that are part of that circulatory system or that immune system or whatever system's necessary gets called into action and they get dispatched by the Holy Spirit to begin to do their part to repair the wound or to continue to build up the body. And so functional gifts allow me to function. Every single believer has at least one gift Although, I have not met one yet that only has one. And when I say has, understand that the Holy Spirit distributes, and He can give, and He is the one who decides He gives you the gift, and it, and it denotes possession in that, while I can operate in that gift at free will, it will always take the, the uh, impetus of the Holy Spirit to do that, but it is appropriate for me to say I have this gift because I can really only flow when I know, right? And so out of that function, I can learn how to function. Now, the ones in 1 Corinthians 12 that we're starting, I like to call those manifestation gifts because while their ministries aren't built on them, they allow you to function in the ministry. One is a ministry. The other allow you to function as you are in the ministry. And so think of it this way. These are manifestations of God's power that manifests in a particular point in time. If I begin to prophesy like some of us started, you know, started to step into tonight, 
then in prophecy, what I'm doing is I'm manifesting um, at a particular point in time something that God is speaking forth. Now, prophecy, when we get into that, is a little more unique than all the rest of them because it appears in all the lists, which understood correctly is you can have a prophetic ministry, not be a prophet, but you can be engaged in prophetic ministry regularly and consistently. So moving on, though, what we need to understand is, is that uh, in, in the middle of page 19, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says there's different gifts. Those different gifts are both manifestations in 1 Corinthians 12. They're ministries. Ephesians 4, ministry gifts. Um, then we jump down to two different ministries. Some gifts allow you to function as a ministry. Others allow you to function in the ministry. These gifts produce different results. And this is kind of where I really wanted to land in, in this section. So if I operate in the gift of teaching, which appears in Romans chapter 12, what I need to understand is when the person who's operating in their gift is teaching, it's not that I'm necessarily looking for all their intellectual prowess to come forth. It's what I'm looking to receive more than anything is the release of grace that comes through their gift and their ability to teach. And we talked about this last time, that you could be a college professor, yet have no ability whatsoever to come into the body and by the Spirit begin to teach spiritual things. I know it's profound, but it's true. And so what we realize then is all of the gifts have different results when they are in authentic operation. If I, if I minister um, under the gift of mercy, it, the result it's going to produce is going to be different than if I pray for you and you get healed of sickness, right? So that's all that means. And then um, and number four, gifts of helps and gifts of administration. Those two gifts appear in 1 uh, Corinthians 12, 28. And the way I like to quantify those is I actually move these two gifts over into the ministry gifts of Ephesians 4.11. Now, without kind of diving into all the deep words, there are really two types of gifts we're concerned about. There's a charisma, what the Bible calls charismas or spirituals, and those appear in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Then there's, uh, in Ephesians 4.11, the, the, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher, evangelist, past shepherd. These are what the Bible calls doma gifts. How you recognize them differently in that distinction is one is a gift that I have. The other is a gift that simply is. The person themselves is the gift. And why that's slightly different is, I know everybody's, I'm a prophet and all this stuff, but what you have to understand about the fivefold ministry gifts are, it's not that they just have gifts because they do, but it's that they are wired from the ground up to be a gift to the body. It's not just operating in one particular gift. If I'm a prophet, the natural thing in the world to do is to say I'm going to prophesy to everybody. But believe it or not, what distinguishes a prophet is not their ability to prophesy. And so what we have to understand is God gave some as gifts to the body, and that's what they're intended to be, a gift to you. All right? But going on, so we've got gifts that manifest, and what we're going to break these down as we start to dive into them, an easy way to start to understand at the top of page 20 is the gifts that manifest can be divided into three different sets of actions. 
One of those are the revelation gifts. They're gifts that bring me into revelation and my heart becomes enlightened to something that I was unaware of before that gift happened. So this is the word of wisdom. They're the gifts that see. They allow me to see in a spiritual way that I couldn't see before. And that's the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. The vocal gifts are the gifts that say something. They are the tongues, interpretation of tongues. And notice it says diverse tongues in one translation. And then the gift of prophecy. And then the last sets of gifts are the power gifts or the gifts that do. And that means that they do something. Special faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles. And um, all of these begin to work together to actually enable you to build the body. All right, let's do something really quick as we... Um, wind out. I want you to flip over with me to page 23. And I want you to look up here at the top because in 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says something that's really powerful here. And um, I believe I actually included it up there at the top. Yes, I did. So above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Now, think about what we just said here. Above everything else. What's the most important thing we're called to do? Love. Paul said it, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, but what? Pursue love. So Peter is giving us an order in the Spirit that if you'll understand what the order is, you'll most likely get the thing that you desire as the byproduct. Right? So Peter says... Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, do you know God likes serving so much he turned it into a gift? Um, so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. There's something very powerful there. So that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. So a couple points. First Peter denotes possession. He who has received. So this is what you need to understand. The Lord deposits and gives you supernatural endowments that you take possession of. And not only that, you are called to steward well. That means that whatever gifts the Lord has put on the inside of you, you are, let me say it to you this way, this way David Hogan, I heard him say it one time, we don't have the right not to give Jesus fruit. And I would take that a step further and say that none of us have the right to refuse to operate in the gifts that he's given us in order to build the body with. That's one of those mindsets that we need to get free of and shake free of because as we step into the body, in order to become one, we have to begin to lay down our personal rights in order to get there. Same thing about worship. What we miss fundamentally just about every time, what, what many miss 
is worship begins to happen and something switches over in our mind that worship is about me having my personal devotion time in the middle of an assembly. But when we gather as one, what you and I have to do is we have to learn how to set what I want, the needs of one down, in order to pick up the whole. And so as the worship team and you know whatever's happening at the moment, I'm not thinking individually, God, how are you going to bless me? I'm saying I put all this down so that I can join the corporate one and enter into what God's doing at the moment. Right? So in our thinking, when we come in to begin to function in the body, we have to leave the idea that we're at any time the, the body assembles, that we are here to spectate. We are always called to enter into whatever it is that God is doing at the moment. This is why it doesn't matter in really one sense what happens on the platform because your spirit can begin to connect with whatever's coming through that worship team. And so when, when a person's teaching and preaching, it's not always just about listening, storing it somewhere in your operating system. It's about by your spirit connecting with what is being released and asking the Lord how you can take action with it. Does that make sense? So to close here, he says in 2 Timothy 1.6, well, actually in B, minister your gift to one another. If you didn't have anything to do with the gift, then Paul wouldn't, uh, or Peter wouldn't have told you or commanded you to use it. He wouldn't tell you to use a ministry gift to minister if you don't have the gift. And then secondly, in 2 Timothy 1, gift here is charisma. Timothy received a gift by the laying on of hands, and then Paul told him to go stir it up. And so what we understand about the gifts are, uh, there are many times all of us don't feel spiritual at all, but what we learn to do is stir the gift up. You know, one of the most profound things in Scripture I've missed so many times is when John the Baptist gets beheaded, and the Bible says Jesus starts grieving. And you know what he does? He, uh, how does the Son of God agree? I'm like, this ain't no big thing. You finally entered into your reward, John. What is it about Jesus that he grieved? And then Scripture records that he gets into a boat and he, and he withdraws into a lonely place only to arrive at the other side and he begins to heal everybody. And so even in his grief, what he was able to do is he was able to still stir up as a man anointed by the Holy Spirit the ability to begin to minister to the needs of other people. There are many times, so, so think about why did I share that? Because I, I can't think of any greater moment when you feel the least prepared to minister to anybody than when you're walking through grief, yet we can stir up no matter what the condition is by praying in the Spirit, by by, by surrendering and, and offering God our submission, we can stir up the gifts at any time. Smith Wigglesworth said, hey, if God didn't move me, I'll move God. And what he meant by that was, I'll stir it up and I'll come into faith even when I don't feel like I'm in faith right now. Right? So the beautiful thing about that is that we can stir up the gifts. And then 1 Corinthians 12, it says to each one is given and who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, believe it or not, there was a minister that was ministering at a church I was on staff at years ago. And he was a, a fairly well, well, I'll just tell you who it was. It was um, Richard Roberts. And at the time, he was the president of ORU. 
And he gets up and he's telling the story that he's calling people forward for prayer. And this one lady comes down into the prayer line and she has this big, I mean, huge goiter dangling from her neck. And she comes up to him and says something that just absolutely knocks him for a loop. She says, hey, Brother Richard, would you mind praying for my headache? He, he said, uh, uh, okay. Oh, she goes, you mean this? Yeah, she goes, no, I'm saving that one for Benny Hinn. <laughs> True story. <laughs> so the point here is um, the Holy Spirit distributes gifts as he wills, and there's no amount of prayer lines that I can go to. I can't, I can't say, Lord, I'd like an order of Mick Word of Knowledge this morning. So it doesn't really work like that. The first thing that we start doing is we start discerning what he's already put in us. Now, that doesn't mean that new gifts can't come to you at different points in your life. It just means that God's the author of that, and it doesn't matter what Jeremiah 33, 33 offering you give to someone, they're just not going to be able to manifest a gift in you if the Lord doesn't will it. All right? All right, and so the final thought here is, um, I want to I I encourage you on the top of page 24, how do I discover my gifts? And I've given you a list here that I think can help you, but let me tell you what I believe is really the surefire way that God gets your gifts to you. And you know how that is? You're, you already know what I'm going to say. When you're connected to the body, the body reveals your gifting to you. This is why I, I quit telling people years ago to stop praying and asking God what church you need to go to. Instead, you ought to be praying, who are my people, who is my body? And, and, and the reason why is because in the flow of that, the things that I can't produce on my own, like figuring out what my gifting are or is, the supply of the body begins to flow through me as a conduit to someone else and to me. And when my focus is really on learning to love the people in the body well, how could I not, as the byproduct, automatically start operating in gifts because they begin to come into action as a manifestation of my love and not my desire to be loved? All right. So what I want to do, really quick, Andrew, would you be willing to come back up here again? And, um, and here's the thing. We need to be done, uh, so it's 8.20. So um, we, we got kids and we got school and, and all that. And if you need to go, please don't feel pressured into staying. And, and um, I certainly took a long time last week, and I hope I didn't, you felt like I disrespected your time. I didn't want to do that. But um, what we want to do, if you need to go, please feel free. You won't offend anybody at all. But I want to just take a few moments, if you will, and let's, um, let's do a little bit of ministry to Andrew um, tonight. Can we do that? And um, so I just want to pray. And so let's, let's, let's do what we said. Let's stir up the gifts. So if you would, let's just take a few minutes. And I want to get you out of the habit of these whispery type prayers. So would you be a little bold? And if you, if you have your prayer language, your devotional tongues, would you now begin to just pray out in those tongues? And it's okay. Nobody's going to get nervous. And begin to stir yourself up in the faith 
right now, and I want you to ask the Lord a question. Lord, what do you love about Andrew? What's amazing about Andrew? Lord, how can I build Andrew up in the body? How can I build him up as a son of God? Yeah, yeah. Just a few minutes. And when you believe you have something, I want you to raise your hand. Yeah, come on. Absolutely. Keep going. That's all. Hang on one second. It can be one word. It can be a picture. It can be a vision. If you, get, if you got something for him, come forward. We'll form a line. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your Son. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're releasing the ability to build Andrew up this, this evening. All right, yeah, we'll join in. We'll do, we'll do rapid-fire prophecy. Ready? All right, keep praying. As you're listening and as you're kind of hearing, continue to ask the Lord. You don't have to check out. Just come on up. And it doesn't have to be super long. Andrew, you got your deal on? Okay, so we're recording. So Andrew gets to war. He's going to get words, and he's going to be able to war by them. All right, but we're going to build him up. Now I want you to listen. What's the father saying over Andrew? All right? Yeah, you guys can jump over here. Go. Go. 